talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome once again to More Like the Worst Wing, the show where here in 2023, we are winding down Aaron Sorkin's seminal classic, The West Wing, with a bit more leftist socialist critique and analysis. I am Stu. And I am Dave, and we are here for the election. Hooray, we made it. We finally made it. It's been a long-ass campaign season in the fictional West Wing universe, but we are here. It's election day. Let's roll. It's a fucking two-parter, and boy, is it a slog. <laughs> yeah, so you're, I want to actually address this up front. Your most like trenchant comment was just like, this should have just been one episode. This, this did not need to be a two-parter. And this is not like Harry Potter 7 where you're getting extra money by splitting it up into two parts. You know what I mean? Like, you could have cut the fat out of both of these episodes and made a really tight single episode about the election. Hell, the last time we had an election on this show, it was just a single episode with Bartlett's re-election where he won his second yeah. Uh, term. Yeah, and so, like, we get all of this filler here a wherein lot. so many wherein, polls the poll play every is on fucking red alert yeah. duty for this episode <laughs> we've deployed the squadron of poll planes we need the poll the, fucking air division absolutely yeah. <laughs> so and what again the thing is that like anybody who follows elections will know it's like nothing can be done day of right but Anybody who cares about things will spend the entire time freaking the fuck out and right. f- trying to figure out what can be done when legitimately it's always nothing. nothing. Like nothing ba- can be done. It's baked in at this point. You're like you're on election day. This is you know, this is not cramming two minutes before the final. This is the final is here, buddy. <laughs> like yeah, like your pencil is in hand. And yeah. So, and, but, and also, like, anybody who is listening to this show knows the tension of this feeling where it's sure. just, like, to be, and also to be fair to our audience, like, now is, election day is the time to laugh. It's not <laughs> the time to work. It's the time to, like, be overcome by the stupid hilarity of what's happening. Right. But it's, it's all out of your control at this point. But Josh refuses to accept that and has multiple freakouts throughout these two episodes. Uh, as as you said, he can't control anything the day of, so he just kind of freaks out and starts going like, oh, ask everyone if they voted. And I, I just think as at a macro level, by taking, oh, excuse me, by taking the show to like a, uh, uh, the drama of a horse race finish with three electoral votes making the decision, it it precludes doing anything other than foundering in their own inability and this is the writers and producers their fundamental inability to portray this kind of feeling which is very real we all have felt it sure but they can't quite get it on the screen in a way that is worth watching not not really and i don't know yeah i'm not sure what the secret sauce is missing here if sorkin could have done this better or just better writers or something like that but yeah like basically what we have here is a sports movie. You know, this is the Super Bowl for, for our West Wing show, as it were. You know, there's going to be one winner and one loser. And, you know, much like how in a sports movie, everything must boil down to, oh, it's fourth down and they got to score the touchdown to win the game and there's zero time on the clock. You know, this 
boils down to, you know, oh, it all comes down to Nevada and it's three puny electoral votes. It's just so cliche. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and in addition to that, it is, I, I think they, we are meant to, and the audience who the show knows extremely well at this point, the audience knows what this is like and is trying to experience it vicariously through the characters here mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work it's it's impossible no, like it's yeah. there's there's when, no way yeah when they win uh, it feels know. a little nice but like yeah it's just like the build-up wasn't quite there and it's so much more interesting when we get sides of the Vinnick campaign during these two-parter episode uh because their story of watching an impending loss come in i feel has a lot more drama and conflict to ring out of it and like they start kind of you know they start fighting each other a lot more like josh freaks out a little and yells a little but like the santos campaign is mostly fine the vindic campaign actually starts to show like real kind of venom uh, internally and a lot of like second guessing and a lot of like at at one point vindic just kind of seems depressed and, like, is accepting the loss and stuff. And, like, all of that is so much more interesting than whatever they're doing with the Santos campaign. Well, yeah, because, um, and gosh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. Because, like, with the bad news coming in, it it justifies this negative energy. On the Santos campaign side, it is just Josh taking throughout, like, relatively good news mm-hmm. and... And becoming negative <laughs> and about focus, it. So, focusing on like the most tangential negative information he can find, you know, like oh, some exit polls out of Vermont don't look good, but like they're just they're winning like the whole Eastern Seaboard this, yeah. at this point. Like, <laughs> like my dude, you are missing the forest for the trees here, and the yeah. forest is your fucking winning man. Like, yeah, <laughs> and it creates this fundamental dissonance that just kind of detaches the viewer from what's going on because. Anybody with a brain why, is watching this and going like, why isn't like Josh what the fuck's going on? Why isn't yeah. Josh smart enough to enjoy it if he's such like a smart political operative, you know? And I guess the real answer here is that Josh is so neurotic, he can get laid twice in like a four-hour period <laughs> and still be this freak the fuck out because him and Donna have finally hooked up. Yes, excellent transition, by the way. Let's go. <laughs> so we actually open the episode with uh, a bunch of the Santos staffers kind of milling about the hotel bar uh, as the night winds down pre-election day. It's, you know, election night eve, uh, if you will. And um, they all kind of like, in the least subtle way episode, in the least subtle way possible, uh, like one man will get up and be like, well, time for bed. And then one woman will get up and go, yeah, I am also coincidentally going to bed. (laughs) And like, this happens like three times, uh, including, uh, we find out Rana is gay actually, because she does hers with a lady. So good for her. (laughs) And, and also like a, of actually to their credit, a nice subtle, like inversion of this trope that they're doing, which I'm like, Oh yes. uh, Like you you get a little, it actually, and, and you know, for 2006 TV or whatever, still uh, a slightly bold statement at the time for for network TV uh, to have two women kiss, even if uh, briefly. But then, yeah, so then it, this leaves Donna and Josh after all the other couples have gone off. And, you know, obviously there's tension. They have kissed at this point, but they have not sealed the deal, as it were. And Donna is basically just dropping hint after hint after hint of like, so... 
want to do something. (laughs) (laughs) The go-ahead is there. She's basically waving all the green flags, and then she goes up to her room. And what I find hilarious is the thing that leads us into our triumphant West Wing credit song opening is Josh downing the last of his drink, looking determinedly at the elevator as he stands up, thinking, oh, I'm going to go fuck that Donna right now. It's so good. Like, and just, I don't, and then again, you, you mentioned this, the Twitter discourse. Yeah. About this, how, like, yeah no so sex should be had on everyone screen. Everyone who hates sex scenes, you're, you're in for a treat because network TV, they just decide to have them wake up in the morning and it was, it was sex very much implied, but nothing shown. <laughs> so the, yeah, this is perfect. It's like the action scene where they just draw their guns and then cuts to dead bodies. You know, like we don't need to see any of the actual action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Squibs be damned. Um. <laughs> so yeah, despite this, and despite Josh and Donna having a blossoming, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Love or whatnot, relationship, budding, whatever. Uh, Josh is still freaking the fuck out about the smallest, stupidest shit throughout the episode. Throughout the first episode, he actually gets better. Yeah. Um, once, once the actual bad news drops that, that, that transitions between these two episodes. So- there's, there's a lot of very nerd energy, and I'm going to put the clip in here, and <laughs> God, I wish I'd heard this earlier, of a guy just saying, I want a job as a White House speechwriter. I want to be a White House speechwriter. It's like, oh. Uh, the, the first time I tried to watch the episode, I literally just stopped it at that point, because in my mind, I picture like some Obama boy watching this in 2006 and doing like the Leo DiCaprio point meme of like, me, that's me. <laughs> Yeah, some pod John was sitting on his, you know, uh, restoration hardware couch. Yeah, and said, I'm going to be a White House. So there's a lot of that. Um, And so, and anyway, so just to kind of move along with the episode. At one point, Graham, uh, our our handsome, one of our handsome lead staffers. Oh, is that that his name? Graham. Yeah, we figured it out. Oh, nice. Uh, And uh, at one point, after the win, you know, Santos is about to give his victory speech, and Graham just goes like, this is the best thing I've done in my entire fucking life. (laughs) It's less nerdy when he says it because he's a little cooler than the speechwriter guy, but it's still kind of nerdy. Well, and so speaking of like the nerdiness, um, so when Josh and Donna wake up, Donna or Josh, like, excuse me, Donna, like sneaks out of the room to go and surreptitiously get some coffee. And in the minute and a half, she's gone. The entire rest of the staff is just piled into Josh's room. Just showed up. Yeah. Morning. As it's is, like, very funny. Nobody slept. <laughs> yep. Everybody's yeah. awake. Isn't that funny? Ha ha. <laughs> We've turned your room into the war room. I know you were looking to do round two. And then in a fun bit of contrast, we then just like smash cut over to the Vinnick campaign where Bruno is also picking up the ladies <laughs> yes, and being like, hey, do you want to come see the, like, where campaign the campaign office? Like, yeah. the, the things that work up here? I guess this is his move. And to be fair, it <laughs> seems to be a successful one as she did follow him to the campaign office. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. they're, like, starting to make out. Yeah, she's like, it's less impressive than I thought it would be. And he's like, yeah, I know. We're not really here for that. <laughs> well, they're, they're starting to make out or whatever. And then Jane, the Ann Coulter stand-in, like materializes materializes out of nowhere why and is she just there? like just like 
hey, Bruno, I see you're making out with a girl. And there is a split second where it's just like, oh, fuck, yes. Are you going to join in on this shit, Jane? <laughs> there Get was a half freak on. <laughs> there was a half moment of that porn scene energy of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bruno's just like, I've got two attractive ladies here. <laughs> Looks like they and both then, need a double dose of the Bruno. <laughs> and, and then it's and then just like she's basically just cock blocks him. And of course, Bruno has forgotten the girl's name, which is also really funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so good this is the last time we saw him on election night too it's just like he has that winner charisma about him that just makes him completely irresistible it's so good so and by again by contrast the whole rest of like the kind of like the election day war room bullshit is just full of the like large numbers and long lists of meaningless things that democrats just absolutely love Exit polls, exit polls, exit polls, which are meaningless and boring and stupid. When we get actual states getting called, that gets exciting, but that's not till the second half, usually. And, like, it's things like, oh, X percent of voters who voted in the last thing in this demographic have shifted right. shifted right. this many points in whatever direction. It's There's just like, a lot oh. of words about youth vote or whatever. I think youth turnout is higher, which is helping them. Uh, military voters are going to Santos more than they thought, stuff like that. Yeah, all these like micro trends that are meaningless in the scope of the actual election, which is, you know, which states are going to who, uh, which mostly comes during the second part. And then there's, but then they'll do things just like put another 30 volunteers on the ground in Des Moines because we need to get, and it's just like, like these little micro micro strategy things i actually do appreciate that there's a guy there who's like the camp actual like sub campaign manager who actually who has it all handled and is just constantly telling josh like calm the fuck down we've got this and it's just like really cool about it it's a very funny contrast to how fucking worked up josh is yeah and ultimately like again this comes back to the point where it's just like the whole rest of the campaign was this frenetic and the show spent a lot of time like showing us, oh, mm-hmm. you have to think about X thing in Y context, and that's why these people are nominally so smart and they're the best among us or whatever. And now it's literally like anybody who knows how these things work knows that those little trivia bits and the fact that you're thinking, you know, four chess moves ahead or whatever does not matter anymore. No, it is no, fucking this is all done. You're you're playing with you know is fucking rearranging seat seat chairs on the Titanic. Yeah, kind of on thing. the Titanic for sure. It, it's absolutely that, and and Josh should be smart enough to know this, but I guess the writers just feel that this is the cheapest and easiest drama they can mine out of it. Is Josh himself is is personally freaked out? Like we don't even get Santos freaking out hardly. No. At all. Like even when the uh, there's a there's the point where they think they're fucked, you know, it's coming down to like the last two states and they got to win them both. Santos is just like very calmly like, yeah, all right, give me Vinick's number and I'll concede if if it comes to that. But like he's not freaking out even a little. And, yeah. Uh, well, uh, in contrast, he gets laid and takes a nap. Josh, <laughs> this is what you should have done. I was gonna say, by virtue of the the getting laid trick, it works yeah, on Matt Santos, yeah, which yeah. is why we know he rules. Like, Matt, Matt actually can lead this country because he correctly realizes that after he's done his little photo op voting thing for the day, he has nothing to do, and so him and Terry uh, Polo are at home, Helen. And uh, Helen's just like, "Well, we've got nothing to do. Want to take a nap?" He's like, "I don't think I can sleep." She's like, "Well, 
we could do something else. You want to do something and, else in the bed? And, and then later, Graham's trying to find him to tell him about like winning Pennsylvania or some shit or whatever. And then she's like, "He's asleep," in a very like proud way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like I put I put him down. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I tucked Daddy in for the day. On, on fucking election day, I got yeah. a presidential candidate to take a nap. <laughs> this is my power. That rules. And. I mean, and, and also it's like there is a very brief derail while we're kind of on like the relationship dynamics thing into the Will and Kate. Oh, right. Yeah. Whenever thing. we flash back to the White House, it feels so. Oh, forward. it's awful. God, yeah. It's like, me, shouldn't it's we shouldn't we be all with the campaign on this day of all days? Like maybe one check in with Bartlett when we actually get a winner would be fine. But but yeah, shouldn't we just stick with the campaign? <laughs> Well, and so we get the Will and Kate, which is fine because I think the like the the juxtaposition of the three sexual relationships here sure. is actually is actually fine, and there's some consistency there. But the conclusion that comes out of the Will and Kate thing is Will and Kate are talking like being like, oh well, you know, when this administration's done, what are you going to do? And Kate is straight career military. We know she's right. not doing fucking she's- anything else. Right. She's you just know. like, yeah, I'm I'm right I'm right in the ship with whoever the next president is. It doesn't matter yeah. to me. You know, I'm I'm the fucking military. I'm like we're going to be here. I'm the blob. <laughs> and and Will is like, "Oh, you know, I'd love to go out west and find a, like a real candidate, like do a thing in California. Maybe I could stick around." And then they somehow turn the conversation to the fact <laughs> that she voted for Arnold Vinick. Right, because she can and say Will's- whoever who- Whichever president, whoever wins, and like keeps using that kind of rhetoric, and then Will's like, "What do you mean, whoever wins? Don't you want Santos to win?" She's like, mm. <laughs> and, "And it's great because Mary McCormick just does this series of long looks at him, right? Just like, <laughs> and and I swear it's and I'm sitting here like yelling at the TV, being like, please." Don't dump your smoking hot girlfriend because she voted for the wrong president. Uh, also, like, Will, Jesus like she's Christ. she's the head of like the NSA or whatever, or like yeah. you know, she's like the tops. Do you think the rest of the Joint Chiefs vote Democrat? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or or also like, dude, hey, here's your chance. If she rides into the next administration as a young gun go getter with an executive position, like. You could be a kept man for the rest of your life. Oh, you could yeah. do whatever you want. You could be a house husband, bro. Like you live Dude, it up. Dude, that is yeah. the dream. That is the dream. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's just kind of funny that Will freaks out about that. That feels very, that's so West Wing. Like, you oh, know, very. the biggest the biggest liberal problem is your girlfriend voted Republican, <laughs> you know? Like Oh, so, how embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> the the and so basically, like, the first episode then winds down with a little blip of Charlie and CJ discussing, like... Oh, future, um, future, future plans employment. Or uh, which, by the way, the casualness of, of CJ's basically, like, entrance into uh, higher upper money society after exiting this chief of staff job is just sort of kind of brushed away. But, like, it's literally just like, oh, here, CJ, you're one of the people that matter now. And here are your sinecures. Yeah. Choose from them. Yeah, I, I have this list of it's, it's military disgusting. industrial complex, <laughs> yeah. giant corporation, giant conglomerates that yeah. all that all want your political 
uh, you know, access and, and levers that you have so that they can work the government better. Like, it's just, it's fucking gross if you think about it that way, but it's just framed as like, uh-oh, CJ needs to get a job. <laughs> like, you know? And, and also, like, Charlie is trying to do this for her. It's like... Right, and she has zero, about- <laughs> zero interest. And also, what about yourself, motherfucker? Like, well, oh, why are you... Well, we find out he's he's doing it because he wants to just ride CJ's coattails, basically. And it's just like, oh, if you end up at Lockheed Martin, please take me with you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's, uh, then CJ's like, okay, fine. You know, package some of these to, for me to look over and, and starts to take it seriously uh, and starts to think about what she wants to do after the White House. And so the first episode winds down with the big fucking shock because we have a long sort of like, uh, not it's not quite a soliloquy from Josh about where he just bemoans the fact that nothing changes in the campaign and basically like the result is always coming down to a close race that nobody could have predicted and yet somehow it always devolves to a few electoral votes and he says about a bunch of rhetorical questions that are just like yeah what if you didn't campaign for 18 fucking months yeah what if, what if indeed yeah like nobody's going to change their mind and also polls are meaningless because i don't give a shit about what people say because nobody has an ideology in the United States. Nobody knows what they're talking about. Right. At one point, Josh is like, what are, you know, he's looking at two different sets of exit polls that don't like match up, you know, logistically. And he's like, which one are they lying about? <laughs> and it's like, it's both. It's everything, Josh. They, they, they are so inconsistent. They might as well be pathological liars and, if you look at yeah, it that way. Yeah, there's, there's no intent behind they're it. They're not it trying is just, to deceive you. They're just yep. inconsistent. <laughs> They they have no belief system. And it's absolutely like it is it is perfectly in line with today. Like it's the yeah. same goddamn thing. And a part of it is just sort of a large numbers phenomenon where like, you know, we've got 330 fucking million people in this country. Like X percent are just going to be crazy. <laughs> and like, you know, <laughs> and like if you interview them, they're going to give you crazy answers that are going to throw off all your data. <laughs> Well, and I mean, from a sort of like a the statistical thing, it's you can always count on the margin of error being exactly the size of the population of absolute psychopaths. Right. The people, like, who, the people who are actual swing voters who make, yeah. make it make up their decision on who to vote for because of like the way Capricorn danced in the sky this morning. You know, yeah. you know, like, like what what color the pen was at the voting booth or whatever. Right. It's just yeah. like, uh, OK, and. Finding, again, just finding that from the show's perspective, finding the the horse race nonsense compelling while at the same time you are bemoaning its existence is so perfectly West Wing. It's like, oh, you know, we could make some big changes, but, well, but we won't because we're so upset about it. It's just like, fuck you. Like, yeah. And uh, I do like the running gag throughout the episode where they keep giving the, the poor speechwriter kid uh, different versions of both the victory and conces- concession speech to write. Yeah. They're like, what if we win Texas? What if we don't win Texas? What if we win the popular vote? What if we win the electoral? And like, his poor kid it just keeps getting like work dumped on him on election day when no one else is doing anything. Yeah. And so the first episode winds up with Leo 
dying. Yeah, the discovery that Leo has passed away at some point. He had a heart attack and in, died basically in his, hotel in his room. room. Yeah, in his hotel room at some point on like the night before or early election day itself. Annabeth finds him. They rush him to the hospital, but he was dead already, kind of thing. Um, as you said, and this is a, a good insight as well. The fact that John Spencer himself has died previously to this means that in the f- previous episodes we have not seen leo at yeah. all because obviously they do not have leo anymore so it kind of makes this punch hit a little less hard because we don't you know we haven't thought about leo in god yeah. knows how long you know i and and also when this was originally serialized over i mean at this point it's probably been a month Months. and a half yeah yeah um you have yeah so your average viewer and look i would love to give people credit but it's like if it's been a month and a half since you've seen a character yeah, on a they're show, like wait who's leo yeah, <laughs> yeah you've who, completely leo? forgotten about leo them. who mr who who mcgarry <laughs> there, there, yeah. there's a vice president yeah and to be to be fair i mean like in reality the actual vice president doesn't fucking matter at all <laughs> so like that's also why we don't kind of care it's just like you know it, it barely matters it leads to like a couple pained conversations where Santos is like, well, I'm not going to pick like a new VP in the next five minutes. That's stupid. Uh, which is, you know, the right move. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. You know, yeah. McGarry's on the ticket and we just have to roll with those consequences. And then I, I actually forget if they address this in coming up episodes of like, I think they do in like the transition episode, they start talking about potential VP picks yes. and stuff like that. So, well, um, and I, so at least that part of it yeah, is mined for something interesting. But yeah, overall, it just doesn't hit as hard. Although I will say when they cut back to the White House and, and they're showing the news report that Leo has died and we get a shot on Margaret's reaction, that hit me pretty hard. There's the an opportunity. That actress playing Margaret sells it really well. That like There's an opportunity for like, everybody. Yeah. She's like totally broken by this. You know, she's worked with that man for presumably decades and and she's really feeling it there is a an opportunity for everybody to engage their sadness workshop yeah like, yeah but only her, hers works is basically well, what I'm no saying I, for me <laughs> I'm, I'm also i, I want to say that um the rest feels so very perfunctory <laughs> when um actually and this is a, a credit to the actor himself because when they call the vinick campaign to oh, let right. them know that he's sick for whatever reason, it was super touching because they're like, on election day, like, why would yeah. he want to talk? Yeah. And then he makes a they, quip of like, is he calling a concede already? Already? And but then and and Bruno's like, no, it's like serious or whatever. And he gives Alan all the phone, and Alan just says like a very heartfelt like Matt, like to answer mm-hmm. the phone because mm-hmm. it's you know it's Santos on, on the other yeah. line, and it's a really for whatever reason I was just like the delivery here and the. Not yeah. tenderness, but like the personal relationship invocation between no, the two of them is like this it is really me. great. Yeah, it struck me. It was like yeah. a little bit of the, like the mash magic he summoned up there. Yeah, in that in sure. that moment, because like even just before when we had the confrontation between them about like the, the his brother and the the child and everything, mm-hmm. like that didn't that didn't have this kind of emotional energy to it. Oh, so for yeah. Sure. Big props to Alan Alda. Yeah, it was, for like it was just really a, great. A small moment, but like it, you really feel it. 
So I, I asked Emma about what whether there is a historical precedent of this, this happening sort because of thing. The, the, mm-hmm. the show is is saying like oh we don't fucking know what to do and she mm-hmm. said that the the closest thing she could think of was in the election of 1820 mm-hmm. <laughs> there were there were the top 3 candidates of a I think a five candidate race okay had to go to the house of representatives to vote between okay. them because back then it was the second highest vote getter became the vice, vice president. president. Right, right. No matter whose party, yeah. <laughs> so they sent the vote between John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, and William Crawford to the House. And while they were voting, Crawford had a heart attack and died. <laughs> and died. <laughs> so so he was rip. like, well, now, now it's just Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams. And boy, go. do they hate each other. Because Henry Henry Clay got frozen out in that election. He basically just started to gin up this entire machine in the South against John Quincy Adams as like a legacy and blah, 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 you know, this thing. So the other closest thing was that FDR actually made it through his election and then died <laughs> in office. So Right. Right, yeah. Dying in office is one thing. This is this sort of scenario of dying on election day itself um, is definitely unheard of uh, in terms of our pol- political history, as it were. Uh, let's take a quick break here, just so the audio file doesn't get corrupted or anything. <laughs> and uh, we'll come back. Uh, we wanted to talk about the crazy fuck election map that this election ends up happening. Uh, it's not actually that crazy, looking back on it. I did pause at one point when Josh was in front of the big board to t- kind of look. And most of like the East Coast looks pretty normal, what you would think. You know, uh, Santos wins the more liberal Northeast states. Vinick wins most of the South, except for South Carolina goes to Santos for some stupid which, reason. Which I truly don't understand. Which I think I think that's just any dumb thing like that we have to chalk up to. It's dumb election math to make the outcome more suspicious. Oh, yes, yeah, because oh, and this is actually a great point because the 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 lib brain is just like we have to figure out a way to make the fake election cleave to the real election numbers. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's cr- yeah, they could have made up like electoral vote totals. Oh, you know sure. what I mean? Well, like, give or take like one. you think your average you think your average American is going to be there like, "Uh, excuse me, Florida has 35 yes. electoral votes, um, not 47." Sir, I believe that Michigan gets 18, not 19. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, like uh, you know, you can't but yeah, it's very liberal to be like, "No, no, no, we have to color within the lines here and, and play by the actual rules." <laughs> yeah. And then they kind of like backwards engineered an outcome from like Okay, well, how do we end up with the most suspenseful election? And it leads to a couple crazy things. Now, like Florida going red, that's not crazy. Florida is a classic battleground state. Ohio, Pennsylvania, etc. But South Carolina, uh, obviously, the, the big two, Texas going blue and California going red, is, are completely is fucking bat- insane. Fucking batshit. <laughs> completely insane. But whatever. This is the premise that Vinick is yes, from yeah, California yeah, yeah. and that Santos is from Texas, and therefore you you almost always win your home state. 
<laughs> cough, cough, gore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it just, it, the map itself it boils down to them worrying about first Oregon, which gets clinched pretty much right away. So it really just boils down to Nevada. And I just like that as it goes through this process of like, realizing which state is like key in this particular moment they are always like oh i wish we had campaigned more in x state yeah. <laughs> just I, like hindsight is 2020 <laughs> shit and also like could would it have made any difference because no uh, <laughs> like how much do you think campaigning moves the actual needle is is the real thing uh, but yeah, it's, it, so the map itself, mostly normal other than California, Texas, and a couple weird things like South Carolina. Um, what else? Vinick wins a couple other weird ones. Vinick wins like Maine and Vermont or whatever yeah, like something that. Like Vermont, but like, it's like eh, that would never you know what? Happen. Maine, Maine sometimes does go sure. conservative. Like Maine has like a split electoral vote that sometimes goes yeah. Republican or something like that. But uh, Vermont, yeah, no, please. I don't think so. Well, and it's, it's also, I, you know, I'm reading a fuckload into this at this point because I don't know who these people are who are writing this shit. But like the the com- how does the, he win Vermont and not win New Hampshire? I was gonna say like, like the, the, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> look, for anybody who knows anything about the states up here where I live, New Hampshire is like anti is like nega Vermont. <laughs> Like, right, dude, it's like this is completely the opposite case. Which is the one that has the libertarian project? I'm almost certain New it's New Hampshire because yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the cool thing about New Hampshire is that I think I don't. Um, it might be a unicameral state house, but no, it's not. It's not. It's not a unicameral state house. But their state representatives they are apportioned to like a fixed number of people. So as the oh. state's population has grown, their number of representatives more more have grown. So representatives, each, awesome. Each rep is like I, I don't know, call it like six thousand people. So their House of Representatives now is something to the tune of twelve hundred elected officials. Hell, hell yeah! Hell That's yeah. what the actual Congress should be God like. Damn too. Right. There should be like one thousand California representatives. <laughs> yeah, fucking rules, and just in the Congress, and just imagine like the the coalition building. And frankly, I think by almost by virtue, like it backwards itself into a multi party system because just like yeah. when you have a gazillion, yeah, it, people, it just has to. Yeah, when you have that many, yeah. How are you going to keep like so many in lockstep or whatnot? So yeah, it leads to a sort of a par- parliamentary type uh, arrangement. Which is, you know, uh, probably superior, vastly to preferable, than to the uh, Senate that is just there to be a fucking roadblock. The um, uh, yeah, well, then so they're doing this like election party or like the the, the election night party. Thing. We get the Foo Fighters. We get the Foo Fighters again. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, not the Foo Fighters, just Foo Fighters. We, we get Foo Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Grohl looking real young. Extremely. Uh, I, I like it. I like how there's never like a single sort of concert shot of them per se. They're always just kind of in the background while other shit related to the campaign is happening, you know, and like they don't even get to have the party on time because it goes to like three in the morning before they have a a decision because they got to like count all the Nevada (laughs) votes and everything. I also, this would actually be really cool. Um, And I wish this was like a real thing where you contract one band to play from the beginning of the night, like you say, when polls close on the East Coast, <laughs> right. you play until to, we have a result. To a decision. Yeah. To a, till a, like a fucking 24-hour marathon. 
It'd be like a dance marathon except for drumming and strumming. Like <laughs> Dave Grohl up there being like, my wrist is going to fall off. <laughs> Play the best of you again. <laughs> it's the 17th time. <laughs> no new crap. Ever long. <laughs> oh, we've had 17 curtain calls. <laughs> So they they do a bunch of stuff and then like Texas goes to, you know, Santos and that's fine. They get to they get to all sing deep in the heart of Texas <sighs> out in the hallway, yep. which is a cute little moment. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> he's he's, he's <laughs> out of the Alamo. There's no basement there. Um, so as it becomes increasingly clear that the Republicans are going to lose, I think your comment from earlier is just like it is way more interesting to watch the Republican campaign staffers start to backbite and totally. Like, and they start to tell Vinick, like, hey, you got to start suing and like, you know, raising electoral challenges in court and stuff like that. And then what's hilarious is the overall message of the show on both candidates' ends is like, no, 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 that's loser shit. Like, you know, <laughs> like. You know, fighting fighting this to make sure it was legally executed, pff, that's lame loser shit, man. Yeah, nobody with any political power would wield it. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> no, you just, you just do the honorable thing. You don't draw right. out every possible the, contingency. Right, but Vinick is both just honorable enough to be like, no, I'm just going to concede, I'm not going to fight. And at one point, Santos asks Josh if he should fight it. And Josh basically says, like, no, that's loser mentality, and you would be the presumptive nominee if you lost, but not if you, like, fight it in court, which, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it would be fine. Sorry. You, and, and on the flip side, like, yeah, if you fight it in court, if you're a Republican, chances are you're going to win. You're going to win. Yeah, Vinick could have could have Bush v. Gord this motherfucker if he just like, but no, he has to be the good Republican and he's he's too noble and, and oh, I lost fair and square. Yeah, like, you know, jerk off motion. <laughs> so you get like little glimpses of, you know, oh, Bruno's done with politics. He's going to retire. Smart man. Yep. The smartest damn man on the show says, I'm out. Yeah, Stephen Root's character proposes like, oh, hey, let's go into like election consulting together. You and me, bro. And and Bruno wisely is like, nope, after this one, I'm done. I bought a big house in upstate New York and I'm going to garden and fish and just like vibe, dude. Yep. Fuck yeah. God bless. Hudson Valley represent. Um, the there is a brief moment of like, what are the legal recourses we have here? And I think there's literally a, a line that says, shall I bring in the election lawyers who are waiting outside? Literally, and, like yeah. literally in those words, like find the clip, put yeah, it in. Okay, I'll put it in. Like it's, it's when you pointed it out in the notes, it was just so awkwardly phrased. Yeah. It's only 30,000 votes. You have to challenge it. Shall I bring in the lawyers? They're waiting outside. Well, and, and Stephen Root's it, all it in feels on. very It feels very play, like Shakespearean almost. <laughs> I don't know why. And Stephen Root's all in on like, but it's Nevada. I bet you there are some illegal Hispanics voting. Like, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. It, it's literally just there so that Alan Alda can like eye roll at it and be like, no, no, no. I am good Republican. I am not racist. Yeah. And then it winds down. We get a, like the, the, 
the kind of concession call, the speech, yeah. which kind of goes kind of double oh, jo- speak. Josh calls it. Josh calls it the first governing document, which is the biggest load of horseshit I've heard in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, does anyone remember the victory speech of any president? It's just like, I won. Woohoo. America. God bless. <laughs> and honestly, the one that people do remember, Obama's, was exactly that. He didn't say anything right. important. It's, there's no actual, yeah, like he wasn't laying out policy. It was just, you know, nice sweeping rhetoric, which is all a victory speech should be, to oh, be yeah, fair. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the idea that it's the first governing document is just like, no, it's not, Josh. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Just pull yourself out of your ass here. And like, like, like the two DNC staffers show up like before the elections even won to be like, oh, we need to change the language in the victory yeah. speech. Like, oh my God, <laughs> fuck off. Like, <laughs> They're the biggest party pooper energy, like, that these two bring. It's just like, fuck off. We haven't even won yet. Jesus. Like, excuse me, the machine needs to weigh in here. And Yeah, like, it, that's exactly what it is. And, it, like, I, it just also, I would be mad as someone who believes in, like, tempting fate. Like, you fucking assholes, we haven't won yet. <laughs> yeah. Like, get the, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Get out of here. Yep. Remember earlier in the show when they spit and threw salt and shit because they were worried about tempting fate? You know, remember the good times, season one. Not and and honestly, at this point, no, I don't. <laughs> like it's and been too long. Neither do the writers. They've turned over the whole staff. So yeah, it's just, yeah. It, it, I remember this episode being better in my mind because your mind has a nice habit of basically editing out the stuff that you find boring. <laughs> So my mind was a better editor than the actual editor of this episode, of these two episodes. Yeah. So I mean, really, that's about it. There's a there's a scene where we do see President Bartlett being woken up in the middle of the night, being like, well, um, right. right, four a.m. when they finally have the result. Somebody win, and then he lived, like I think he turns over and goes back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I wish he did. I wish they actually showed that, but that's definitely the implication. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just, yeah, it was real, I, I don't know, just so much, this could have been a really tight single episode, I think, and by stretching it out into two, they just dissipated so much of the energy. Yeah, and I like, I frankly, I like the more interpersonal stuff that they do. I like the horny energy yes. in the first thing. It's like, yes. okay, these Yeah, people... I like... Uh, the staffers interacting in that way. Or like yeah. these people actually... Or when Graflo's like uh, working out and they have to go find her in the gym, you know, like, stuff like that. Yeah, these people are actually real people. They're not just, you know, mm-hmm. a pastiche of something that the writers insert when is convenient. It's not just it's not just a campaign suit there to deliver exposition. Yeah. They're, they're an actual character. You know, they have wants and fears and, and hungers and etc. <laughs> Speaking of wants and fears and hungers, we learned that... Um, Bartlett's dumb son-in-law Doug is losing his race badly. <laughs> <laughs> he got a fucking curb stomp, like double-digit loss or something like that. Uh, yeah, as as we're checking in with some of the down ballot stuff, it's mostly good for Dems, except for Bartlett's except for stupid Dougie. son-in-law gets fucking crushed. Scratch Dougie. Good work, everybody. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that mostly wraps it up. Um, any final thoughts? No, I, again, anybody who follows electoral politics to a degree knows this feeling. And uh, much like every other thing in 2016, your brain either went to doubling down on the finding it serious or 
laughing hysterically or, wrapped up in or a straight jacket. Yeah. yeah. Like your Lao Lamau. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, I passed out the night of the election and then woke up in the morning, checked my phone, and it's like Trump wins in stunning repudiment to establishment and just started lamowing. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody was ever the same. Everybody's brain was broken in one way or another. The, the crack and the ping, they have, but they both happened. Um, yeah, but that, that does it. We've got a new president-elect now. Uh, the next few episodes will be about transitioning and whatnot. I do like one comment from Bartlett, and I wish we had gotten a little bit more of this angle mind out of it, where he's like, it's so fucking weird to watch yourself being replaced on national television. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine I like this. <laughs> I bet that is weird. I bet that's very weird if you're the outgoing president, even if it, if, even if it is your team winning. Um, and, and like, you know, what you want to happen. That's still just, it's got to be an odd experience. Okay. So thanks as always for listening, everyone. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll be back uh, soonish to continue with the last few episodes here uh, that involve the transition of the Santos administration to take over for the outgoing Bartlett administration and thus wrapping up the show. Yay. Hooray. We, we've uh, been at it so long. We finally made nice. it. The light at the end of the tunnel is in sight. So, uh, as always, you can drop comments in either one of our threads on Something Awful <laughs> Speak- or BNR. Speaking of, I'm, go- I'm going to make a note that I may not actually be able to post this in real time because some dipshit in C-SPAM who hates the COVID thread has a bug up their ass and is chain probing me <laughs> for yeah, some I, Yeah, <laughs> good times. Um, uh, I can post. I can always post it, worst okay. case scenario. So I suppose I'll reach out when we're done here. Yeah, yeah. Just DM me once, uh, once, once it's done, and we can get that taken care of. God yeah, bless the old, internet. God bless the little powers of idiot kings and and dumbass mods. Uh, but yeah, thanks as always for listening. We appreciate your comments, feedback, etc. And we'll be back uh, to discuss more of the show next time here on the Worst Wing. Bye bye. But don't ask me to come on along.